So, our quarter, this quarter, is on one of my favorite topics, and that is Bible prophecy. And it's the book of what? The rest of you have quarterly, so you have no excuse. Revelation. It seems like we just studied Revelation recently, didn't we? We should, by the end of this quarter, between last quarter's prophecy series and this quarter's Sabbath school, we should be well-versed in the book of Revelation. But uh, this week was kind of an introduction to the book of Revelation, wasn't it? So I would like us to answer some questions. The first question is, what is the purpose of prophecy? So what is the purpose of prophecy? What's prophecy for? And I want a Bible verse for your answers. To prepare the people. What's your Bible verse? History of past and future. All right, give me your Bible verse too. All right, who else? Revelation of Jesus Christ. And what's your verse? 1-1. One, one. Very good. <laughs> Anybody else? What is the purpose of prophecy? Let's look at some texts. How's that? Somebody look up Second Peter 1, verse 19 and 20. Second Peter 1, 19 and 20. Most of you should probably have this verse memorized. It is a long one. <laughs> That's wonderful. So who has Second Peter 1, 19 and 20? All right. So what is our, what is the purpose of prophecy in this? I know for me, when I read this text, I find it gives me confidence and faith, right? I can put my faith in it because it is a sure word of prophecy. Do you see that? We have a sure, what did your te- translation say? So what said, Victoria? The verse, the first words in your verse. Confirmed, right? Strongly confirmed. Each translation says it differently, but it gives the same idea. Prophecy is sure, it is confirmed, and it will come to pass, right? It's a light, right? Shining in a dark place. It gives us light. So because of it, we can have confidence and faith not only in the prophecy, but in the future because of prophecy, right? So that one of the purposes of prophecy is to give us confidence and faith. All right, what else? Let's uh, look at Amos 3, verse 7. Amos, it's that little tiny book in the Old Testament. (laughs) Okay, so God doesn't do anything without revealing it to his servants, the prophets. So what is this? What is he revealing? But when it was written, it was all future, right? So it's revealing the future. Yeah, we are uh, spoiled, right? Because we can see how it was fulfilled in the past and know it was true. They had to just take it, take God's word that it was going to happen, all of it in the future. <laughs> all right, and then along the same lines, we have... Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29. And that verse was in your lesson. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Okay. So what else is the purpose of prophecy in this verse? Not only revealing the future, but that we may do what? That we may be able to obey, right? So because of prophecy, we have confidence and faith that God is revealing the future and we can obey him, right? All right, and there's one more I want to look at, and that's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. The purpose of prophecy. Proverbs 22, verse 3. 
This identical verse is actually found twice in the book of Proverbs, and we're just looking at one because they're identical word for word. But the fact that it's actually mentioned twice in the book of Proverbs means it must be kind of important. So Proverbs 22, verse 3. Natalia, do you want to read that one? Okay. So God gives us prophecy so that we can see what's coming and be safe from it, right? And if we don't study the prophecy, then we are like that foolish man or the gullible man or whatever you want to call him. Each translation calls something else that just keeps going along like nothing's going to happen and is destroyed, right? So it's really for a warning to us, right? So if that's the purpose of prophecy... That brings us to our next point, and that is, how do we interpret prophecy? This is a very hot topic in the Christian world. How to interpret prophecy. Because if the method that is used is different, your understanding of the prophecy is going to come out different. So you can look at the same prophecies, use a different method of interpretation, and come up with an entirely different conclusion. And honestly, I believe that's one reason why we have so many denominations today, is because of the method of interpreting the Bible. And so I want to actually share with you some of the methods that are out there to interpret prophecy, not because I want you to learn all about the different methods, but it's helpful to know what other methods are out there because when you are talking to someone about Bible prophecy, it'll help you understand where they are coming from and why what is absolutely so clear as mud to you is not clear to them at all, okay? So... If you go online to the Wikipedia, you'll actually find a lot about the different methods of prophecy. So I want to just talk about a few of them. The first one I want to talk about is called the preterist interpretation of Bible prophecy. I know these are big words, and the reason is because it's based on Latin. But preterist interpretation. Basically, the preterist interpretation of Bible prophecy says we are going to take everything literally. Day A day in prophecy is a day, okay? And we are going to put everything as happening during the life of that prophet. So the book of Revelation was written by John in the first century A.D., And every single thing in the book of Revelation happened during the first century AD. Now tell me, would that affect your conclusions on the book of prophecy? (laughs) Major, right? Um, So I was thinking about, we'll just say, preterist is past. How's that? Everything happened in the past for us because it happened during the life of the prophet. Um, I was like, where on earth? Did this come from? Where did this idea come from? It's not as popular today. It's one of the the lesser popular uh, ways of interpreting prophecy. But it was actually 
uh, the preterist view was originally written by a Jesuit priest in the year 1614 during the Counter-Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was in full swing at this point because it started late 1400s, mostly in the 1500s was the, the Protestant Reformation was gaining ground. And one of the things that was immensely gaining ground in the Protestant Reformation was that the book of Daniel and Revelation predict that the Catholic Church is the Antichrist. And they didn't like that. So they said, let's find another way to interpret Daniel and Revelation. We, tr- we tried getting rid of the Bible and they just brought it back. They started translating to their own language. So we lost that battle. So let's instead, let's start a counter-reformation. Let's publish a Bible, our own Bible translation, and distribute that and then teach people how to interpret prophecy so it takes the heat off us. So this view of interpreting Bible prophecy, it's impossible for the Catholic Church to be the Antichrist or the beast or anything else or Babylon or whatever uh, you want to use because it all happened during the first century AD and it's over. Make sense? To them, it made perfect sense. So... um, then you have another one, which this one is slightly more common today, and that is called the idealist. And it's basically, it's uh, the idealist is a modern form of preterism. Uh, and it basically says that everything in Revelation is not literal events. It's just, it's something for us to learn lessons from. So Revelation really isn't that important. It's kind of more like an allegory. Uh, it's got all these stories in it, and they're just to teach moral lessons. Okay? So that's the idealist. Uh, so then you have the view called futurist. Now, you can probably define that without me even telling you what it means. Futurist would mean what? Long time in the future, right? Everything's going to happen way, way at the end of time, just before Jesus comes. It's all going to happen. Boom, 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 done. It doesn't affect me now, right? And this is actually the current view that is mostly embraced by evangelicals today. Everything in Revelation happens in the future. Uh, and they might say that a few things happen in the past, especially in the book of Daniel, but most everything is in the future. And, uh, if you go into, and I'm not going to go into detail, but I do want to mention this because I've had people ask me this at the restaurant a lot. You'll have someone come up to you and you start talking about Bible prophecy and they're like, wait, before we start talking about Bible prophecy, I want to know one thing. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Okay, what on earth are they even talking about, right? Uh, we don't really, like, talk about that as a Seventh-day Adventist. Like, wh- what are they referring to? Well, when they say trib, they mean the word tribulation. And uh, so are you pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation? Uh, that still doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Uh, well, it fits in with the futurist view, and I'll tell you... Uh, 
how in a minute, but I want to tell you my response. My response to that, because I don't want to argue <laughs> about methods of interpreting Bible prophecy. So I simply smile at him and say, uh, if you look at John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So the Bible says that we will go through tribulation. And I leave it at that. But <laughs> so anyway, with the futurists, they are divided into three camps, the mid, uh, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, and mid-tribulation. And uh, all of them are talking about the verse in Daniel 9 with the 70 weeks. Now, in our prophecy study, we covered the 70 weeks, right? And we showed clearly how the 490 years, the 70 weeks, right, uh, extended from the time that Jerusalem was rebuilt until Jesus came, right? And... Uh, you had the 69 weeks and then you had the last week. And in the middle of the week was when Jesus was crucified, right? That's when he was cut off. Well, what they do with a futurist interpretation of that is they put that last week into the future. And they say that is the seven years of tribulation. And some people say that the rapture is going to happen before the seven years start. And the seven years of tribulation is only affect the wicked people. And the righteous are all going to be gone. Some people say that that thing that says in the midst of the week, right? He shall be cut off, whatever they say. That's the appearing of the Antichrist. And so the the righteous will be taken out then. And they only have half the, the first half of the tribulation, not the last half. The last half is for the wicked. And then you have other Christians who say, no, we're going to go through that whole seven years of tribulation. And then we'll be taken to heaven after that. So that is what they mean by pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. Okay? If you have the proper interpretation of the book of Daniel 9, you don't have to worry about any of that. <laughs> but that is what they are referring to. So the future is, futurist is, everything is in the future. So we really don't have to worry about anything now. As long as you believe that Jesus is your savior, that's all you have to worry about until the very end, and then it all happens. Okay, that's the futurist interpretation. <clears throat> and I want to tell you, I told you how the preterist view got started, right? The futurist view was also written by a Jesuit priest, and also during that exact same time, during the Counter-Reformation. <laughs> Once again, it was just another way for them to take the heat off of them and say, Let's find another way to interpret prophecy so it doesn't reflect on us. And uh, so that one, the Futurist Interpretation, was first published by the Jesuit by the name of Francisco Rivera in 1585, late 1500s, uh, specifically to deny that the Antichrist was Rome. So then you have the last one we're going to talk about, and that is the historicist view or the historicist interpretation of prophecy. You didn't know you were going back to college, did you? <laughs> I had to pull out all my old college textbooks to find all this. Uh, the historicist interpretation of prophecy is what the Protestant Reformation was based on. It is what uh, it is how they knew that the end of the 
1260 years of great persecution was drawing to a close as they got toward the end of the 1700s. I think, Micah, you read that quote uh, in Sabbath school last year sometime where uh, I believe it was John Wesley who said that he believed that that time was almost over, right? Uh, It was because of the historicist interpretation that uh, they had hope. Uh, it's also because of the historicist interpretation that um, they recognized the new world as a fulfillment of prophecy when America first began. Uh, it was because of the historicist interpretation that they identified who the beast was as the Roman church uh, and all these things. <clears throat> and like I said, it was actually preferred by all Protestants all the way until the late 1800s. And the late 1800s is when Protestants, is interesting, is after 1844, is when Protestants uh, began to embrace other views of the prophetic interpretation of Revelation and Daniel, specifically getting into the preterist views and the futurist views and some of those other views that is predominant today. When I was a teenager, I was a canvasser in uh, 18 states. But anyway, (laughs) uh, about the time I was in my second, I think I was in my second summer canvassing, a brand new novel series hit the bookstores called the Left Behind series. How many of you remember that? It It shocked the Protestant world. And the whole Left Behind series was based on the futurist interpretation of Bible prophecy and really gave that interpretation of prophecy a huge boost in the evangelical world. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, um, I was coordinating Esther's wedding, and we were in the First Christian Church. And uh, one of the classrooms we were using for the wedding party was the youth classroom, and one of their Sabbath, Sabbath Sunday school teaching aids for the youth classroom was the Left Behind game. So the historicist view says that each prophecy, Revelation, Daniel, whatever the prophecy is, always begins at the time of the prophet and carries on all the way until the end of time. So Daniel... All of Daniel's prophecies started at the time of Daniel and carried on till the second coming. Revelation started at the time of John, carries on to the second coming. So not everything happened in the past. Not everything is in the future, but it began at the time of that prophet. And that is the most concise way of of, uh, summarizing the historicist view. So I don't know if that helps or muddies the waters any, but I know for me, it really helped me understand when I am reaching out to people and sharing with people about Bible prophecy, what, how they are thinking. Because if you can understand how they're thinking, you can understand why they're asking you the questions they are or what information that they are seeking. So that brings us to part three. Now that we know how to interpret prophecy, I want to look at what should be our response to prophecy. And I want to look at some Bible stories. I want you to think with me 
some Bible stories in the Old Testament of people, and you can include new too, but yeah, new and old in the New Testament. Bible stories in the Bible of people whose lives were spared because they believed Bible prophecy. Noah. Yes. Let's turn to uh, Genesis. Genesis chapter 5. We're going to look at Genesis 5 and 6, those two chapters, but we're just going to look at a couple verses in each one. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. You're going to think I'm crazy, but I really do want you to read verse 21. <laughs> Someone read Genesis 5, 21. Okay, why on earth did I include that? Methuselah was alive at the time of Noah. Does anyone know what Methuselah's name means? Yes, that's correct. When he dies, it comes, or when he dies, trouble comes. So Enoch actually prophesied the flood when Methuselah was born, 969 years before the flood. So almost a century before the flood, the flood was predicted by Enoch, by naming his son. When he dies, then the trouble comes. Okay? So that was the first prophecy that Noah had. Methuselah was still alive when Noah was living. And then, during Noah's lifetime, Noah got the second prophecy. And that is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Genesis 6, verse 3. Someone read that. Okay. So God says, I'm not going to let this wickedness go on forever. I am going to give them 120 years probation. And he told Noah to build the ark. So Noah knew that it was going to be 120 years. He also knew it was going to be when Methuselah died. So as Noah is building this ark and preaching, he is basing all of his confidence on two prophecies, Methuselah and 120 years. And in obedience to that prophecy, after Methuselah died, God told Noah to get in the ark. It had been 120 years. They got in the ark. And they waited, and of course, because they obeyed, they were the only ones who were spared. Very dramatic story of Bible prophecy. <clears throat> the first Bible prophecy recorded in the Bible. <laughs> All right, anybody else? You think of any others. Maybe their lives weren't spared. Maybe they were just aware or ready for an event that occurred. Because of Bible prophecy. Jerusalem. Yes. Yes. We find that in Matthew chapter 24. We find the prophecy. Matthew 24 verses 15 through 20. And we'll stop there because of time. But we know the rest of it, right? It says, don't go back to your house to get anything. Just run, right? And because of this prophecy that Jesus gave, and because of their understanding of the book of Daniel, the Christians in Jerusalem during the time of AD 70, when Jerusalem was encamped about by armies, when the armies withdrew, they recognized the sign. Yes. In 68. Yes. Thank you. In 68, the armies withdrew, suddenly withdrew their siege for no reason. The Christians recognized that was the sign that Jesus had given and they all fled. And then, the armies came back, and in 70, they destroyed the city. 
because of this prophecy, not a single Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. Not a single one. Million people, yeah. Prophecy is pretty important, right? (laughs) Can you think of any others? Maybe not quite as dramatic. What's that? Joseph. Which prophecy did he have? He gave a prophecy, right? He gave a prophecy, but I want to tell you, his prophecy that he gave was based on a prophecy that he knew. Do you know which one it was? Abraham. He, he, Joseph said, take my bones when I'm died, take my bones with you when you go back to the land of Canaan because of a prophecy that Abraham had. And we find that in Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. <clears throat> so for one, there was actually several prophecies that Joseph was basing it on. One was the prophecy that God gave to Abraham, right? And he said, I will give you this land. And I was actually just reading that this morning. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13 through 14. This is the prophecy that Joseph had. Genesis 15 verses 13 and 14. Uh, Natalia, do you want to read that? So God told Abraham clear back then that they would have to go to a strange land, which Joseph recognized that was Egypt, and that they would have to sojourn there, and then they would be slaves 400 years, and then they would go back to the land of Canaan. So Joseph, based on that promise, said, when you go back, carry my bones. So you're right. That's right. Do you know the Bible verse? That's right. Isaiah 44, 28. Let's turn there. Isaiah 44, 28. Daniel had the prophecy of Cyrus, the Mede, taking over Babylon. Do you want to read that, Glenn? Are you there? Verse 28. Isn't that incredible? God prophesied that king by name and saying Medo-Persia will be the ones to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, to give the decree to set Israel at liberty. Isn't that incredible? Just, I mean, that's how Daniel knew. Not only did Daniel know that, but he also had one other prophecy, and that was the one in Jeremiah chapter 25. So Jeremiah had, uh, Daniel had two prophecies, this one in Isaiah and then one in Jeremiah 25. You guys are great. You're finding all the ones that I found. Jeremiah 25 verse 11. Let's look at Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12. Okay, so Daniel had two prophecies, right? One, they'd be in captivity for 70 years, and the other is Cyrus would be the one to set them free. And he lived to see both of those prophecies happen. 70 years went past while he was in captivity, and Cyrus became king. Just just amazing Bible prophecy. There's one more I just wanted to mention, and I'm sure you all should know the story, because we just talked about it like a couple weeks ago during Christmas time. Who knew about time prophecies during Jesus' birth? Malachi, well, Micah is the one that prophesied it, and who knew about it? Well, it wasn't just a Micah. There's more prophecies than that. The wise men. Now, the wise men didn't have the book of Micah. What books did the wise men have? They had two writings that were actually in Aramaic and were not in Greek and Hebrew and were actually in their own libraries in the East. 
One was Balaam, yes. And we find his prophecy in Numbers 24. And the other one was what? The book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. So they had the book of Daniel and they had Balaam's prophecy. Balaam's prophecy had a prophecy of a star, right? Sit in verse uh, Numbers 24, verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter, the king, shall rise out of Israel. It shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy the children of Sheth. And so the wise men knew that a king rising in Israel would be shown by a star. And they knew when by the prophecies of the book of Daniel with the 70 weeks. They knew when to look for the star. They said the Bible says the Messiah is coming now. Let's watch. And when the star appeared, they knew. Just fascinating, isn't it? I mean, there's so many more, but our time is about up. So I want us to uh, close with these two verses. Somebody on this side, look up Revelation 22, verse 7. And somebody on this side, look up Second Chronicles 20, 20. Revelation 22, verse 7, Second Chronicles 20, 20. The question is, we've learned about all of these people who had amazing responses to Bible prophecy, right? They obeyed it. They were saved. All these things. What is our response to Bible prophecy? You want to read it, Natalia? Go ahead. Okay, so blessed are they who what? Keep the words, right? Keep it or obey it, right? All right? And then who has Second Chronicles 20.20? Okay, so believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will prosper. So our success depends on our obedience and belief and faith in God's prophecies. So what do you think? Based on the stories that we have just read and the verses that we just finished with, is a correct interpretation of Bible prophecy essential? Absolutely. It's essential for life. And our solid faith in Jesus is so important. 